Welcome to Family of Conviction. So they were my mother's brother's kids, and then their wives, you know, who were involved in this. Hello, I'm your anonymous host of Family of Conviction. This is a prepaid collect call from... Vincent Dewey. An inmate at... I'm a friend of Vincent Dewey's, and I'm hosting this podcast anonymously due to the vindictive nature of the bad actors involved. Their names and any other non-voluntary parties will be redacted from these episodes for the sake of legal protection. There's a history of harassment within this family from this individual. My guide on this journey is Vinny from Inside Prison in the Prison Law Library, where he works tirelessly to prove his innocence every day as a paralegal. The defendant and the accuser have the right to have their story told, but that's not what happens. And he's done a great job. Over the last three years, I've developed a documentary short with him, and through his legal skills, we have documents proving his innocence and the flaws in his trial. I wanted to share the audio of the documentary short we recently produced. It'll introduce you to the key characters that will help tell this story and give you an overall insight into the case. How did this happen? What kind of reasonable people would believe a story like that? This is a prepaid collect call from... That's a doing. An inmate at... New York State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision. They looked at Vinny at his size and uh, convicted him on what he looks like as a 32-year-old man and not not seen him as a 13-year-old kid. Two of my brothers are fathers to the accusers. So two of my cousins falsely accused me. So from this point on, for legal reasons, I'm going to refer to them as accuser one and accuser two. They had a name for themselves those boys. Everybody knew of them because of their personalities. They were bullies. They were, they beat up people for no reason. That's Vinny's mother, Cindy Dewey. The two of them, you put the two of them together and they could barely string a sentence together. They're so stupid. Vinny's younger brother, Scott Dewey. Will never finish school. They're high school dropouts. Father, Vincent Dewey Sr. Now my son saw across the street. He lived there with his son. He took abuse from his children because he was a drug addict too. Vinny's grandfather, Carmine. And my she was the same way. His children at 13 were drunkards, drug addicts, pushes. And it's a terrible thing, you don't know how it hurts me to say this about my grandchildren. I was like, well, out of nowhere, where is this coming from? But then it's, uh, once we found out that the two mothers had put their heads together, we figured that that's where it was coming from because they, both of them hated my family for varying reasons and degrees. And that's when my brother calls said, I want you to know that they've had meetings with her. Here we have a title chapter graphic that reads, The Pathological Liar. In subtext, mother of accuser one. What she does is she makes police reports, has somebody arrested, and when it comes time to follow through with the prosecution, she backs off. Then with the allegation with me in 2015, 2014, we now see how much of a hand she actually had in it because it's completely synonymous with what she's done before. Next, we read an excerpt from a letter from Child Protective Services to DA Kathleen Rice. Later in the podcast, we will read the full letter. The mother, a writer, is not cooperating with CPS and has a history of accusing people of not doing their job. Although CPS has been involved with the family for years, they have never reported anything related to sexual abuse. CPS has referred and is tracking these boys with respect to substance abuse counseling, in spite of their mother's lack of cooperation. A letter from Chief Sylvia P. Finkelstein, Special Victims Bureau, 
Child Abuse Unit, Nassau County. I kept my children away from them. She knows court law. She manipulated the family court system for years. Always making herself look like the victim. Every one of her kids she's claimed has been hit or harmed by somebody in their life. Her first husband she charged with molesting their two-year-old daughter. In 1991, she accused her first husband of sexually assaulting their daughter. She took it to court and eventually withdrew the charges and then went back with him and had another child by him. She knew the district courts well. She, they all knew her. Finally, there was one family judge who threw her out and said, I don't want to see you here anymore. In this case, she wrote a letter on April 1st, 2014, saying that the two individuals involved gave her the permission to contact the police on their behalf, which is interesting because they testified that they did not speak about anything until the 7th or 8th of April. Next, we show a letter written from this individual to DA Kathleen Rice, dated April 1st, 2014. At the bottom of this letter are handwritten notes from Kathleen Rice, made public in the records. She acknowledges seven other cases called into CPS from this individual dating back to 1991. Referring here again to the mother of accuser one. How is this individual who had nothing to do with the case but was supposed to testify and didn't testify is saying everything that went on when they never discussed it with each other until those dates? She knew that if she got another one involved, they'd take her a little more seriously. And they went to the the sex crimes unit in Bethpage, there was two now. She's good. She knows that even our attorney said, if it was just one, he goes, we'd win this in a heartbeat. He goes, but now there's two. So this mother of accuser number one, who filed the initial report, never testified in court. The prosecution removed her from the witness list mid-trial, and her record of accusations and drop charges were never mentioned during trial. She's the type of person, it doesn't matter who they are. If you wronged her, she was coming after you. Title card, the district attorney. Now our attorney said, there's no way the district attorney is gonna bring you up on charges. There's no proof, there's no dates, there's nothing. Well, she did. So I'm Gus Garcia Roberts, I'm an investigative journalist. I spent four years working for Newsday, and at one point I wrote a story examining Kathleen Rice's uh, career. And one of the legal experts that I quote in this story said, there are more cases here with sort of obvious, glaring, even possibly intentional problems than, than like your average prosecutor had. In this case, they didn't do their research. They heard what it was, they looked at the mother's previous allegations of me and my family and used that as their springboard to arrest. Here's Gus again referring to Kathleen Rice. Her college professor at the Toro Law Center, he was pretty startled by what he read. He felt that a pattern emerged in, in what, what he studied of, of her career of committing Brady violations. On screen here appears a quote from her Turo College professor. It seems one pattern is the pattern of Rice suppressing Brady material, and the second pattern is the pattern of judges not holding Rice accountable. Sourced from Newsday. This next section was sourced from Vox Media. Before trial, prosecutors have to share any evidence that could acquit the defendant, even if the defendant doesn't ask for it. 
It's called Brady Disclosure, after a 1963 Supreme Court case, Brady v. Maryland. There's no standard to determine which evidence qualifies, so prosecutors decide on their own. A defendant can challenge his conviction on Brady grounds if he can prove three things. That evidence was suppressed, that it's favorable to him, and that it could have affected the outcome of the trial. Through my work as a paralegal and my, my legal studies over the past six years, I've found them withholding evidence. So we didn't know these crazy stories they were telling until a day and a half before Vinny's trial. So now you're left scrambling. Essentially, there's been, there's been studies and investigations that have shown high-profile convictions overturned in Suffolk County, but I think what, what sort of troubles somebody like me is like, is that just the tip of the iceberg? How many, how many people are actually wrongfully convicted that, that we don't know about? Our elected DA is across this state from all different uh, geographic regions, and we are practiced in the uh, art of following the evidence wherever it goes without fear or favor. That was Kathleen Rice in a local television interview when she was running for Congress. The problem with Vinny's trial was there were no exact dates. They did a narrative like, oh, it was on or around March 9th, which is his birthday this year, to March 9th this year. And then it was March 9th that year to August 2001 when he was away at school. You know what I'm saying? So they had two months between the district attorney's office, the police, and conspiring with each other to get their story right in order to convict me. Because what I'm convicted under, this course of sexual conduct against a, a child under the age of 11, has no statute of limitations. If we had somebody, an attorney, who could literally dive into this and an investigator go into this and really prove where the misconduct was, because I've proven it already. Through my work as a paralegal and my, my legal studies over the past six years, I've found them withholding evidence. I've found them not being 100% honest. And one thing that's a major key point that can help exonerate me is that these two individuals said they never spoke about this case to each other until April 7th and 8th of 2014. I was arrested on the 16th. They swear under oath, and so did the district attorney, that they didn't discuss this ever before that. Through my research and my, my legal work, I found that somebody contacted the police in regards to this case in February of 2014. That's two months prior before a police officer should have ever known that a crime was alleged to have committed. So they had two months between the district attorney's office, the police, and conspiring with each other to get their story right in order to convict me. Because what I'm convicted under, this course of sexual conduct against a, a child under the age of 11, has no statute of limitations. And statute of limitations, I don't know if you're familiar with, but that means that there's certain time periods where you can be prosecuted for the alleged commission of the crime. That crime and murder within New York State doesn't have a statute of limitations on it. You could be 70 years old, and somebody could be 60 years old and said, back when you were 15, you sexually assaulted me. And you could be arrested and prosecuted. Our last chapter, the conviction. So the first person to testify was accuser two. And he's the one, the liar, who told about the over 140 times cause of this. He did 40 bags of heroin a day uh, when asked about how he paid for his habit 
because he only worked, you know, a, a warehouse job and made $400 a week, he said, I would shoot dice. So our attorney said, wow, you were pretty successful at shooting dice. And he goes, well, I would also rob drug dealers. And then accuser one testified second. Uh, his lies were that um, one time we were in a family party in the backyard, which possibly we had a pool, we had a tree and a picnic table set up and we have a shed. He claims that Vinny secluded him in the shed for 15 minutes when he was about three years old. Well, the whole family was in the yard and proceeded to rape him for 15 minutes. And there's the shed. So he testified he was secluded in the shed. Well, who was in the yard? Oh, Uncle Steve and this one. And no one noticed you missing? No, it was a very yard. He said our yard was the size of a football field. No. Next you hear from Chris Vitale, the twin brother of one of the accuser's fathers. Yes, my twin brother. I did ask him how he felt about what's going on and that, you know, this is killing our mom and dad. And he said he didn't want to talk about it, so I just kept pressing, and he said that his his wife and my sister-in-law put those kids up to that, is what he told me. Chris Vitale was never asked to testify in court. Neither was his twin brother. So I just want to be 100% clear, just so everyone who knows me, everyone who doesn't know me, not one thing that I was accused of or the one thing that was said at this trial ever happened. I'm 100% innocent of these charges. I never have and never will be ever capable of anything they ever described. The things that they described that I was supposedly committing at the age of 13 were so beyond the scope of my mind at that point, let alone in my adult life, never has happened some of those things that they said. I'm not physically capable of it. I'm not mentally capable of it. I'm saying that my mother knew and that she was negligent and she was an accomplice, that it was Vinny, Vinny was her favorite. My wife, she was an angel, would never, never leave five-year-old kid in a house alone. Like I said, if she was out, went to the store, I was here. What they said happened, or what I was told was happening in that house, it's no way. Impossible. My mother never left those kids out of her sight, ever. Yeah, the jury selection, you know, it was, there were women crying you know, listening to what supposedly was done. There was one juror who daughter went to the same school as one of the judge's daughters. There was one man that was a cop and said, I've never arrested someone who wasn't guilty. So meanwhile, all the jurors were hearing all of this. So how is that not a tainted jury? They had nothing. And every one of the court officers in the courthouse told uh, told their boss, and their boss told Vinny's lawyer, your boy's going home. Because after they heard all the nonsense uh, that, the, that these, uh, my two nephews uh, made up, they were like, he's going home. For the court officers to when they walked us out to say, your son's coming home, I can't believe the line of crap these guys are given. They don't get involved in that stuff. They don't give opinions. They're like, your boy's coming home today. When the jury read the verdict, nobody thought that it was going to come back guilty. I even said to Vinny before we went in, where are we going for lunch? Uh, the court officers, everybody in the court was in shock that, that they said guilty. It was the first, it was the first count it was guilty. And then it was the second count it was guilty. And we were just, we were just grasping each other and 
trying not to scream at the top of my lungs. Worst vision? It sticks in my head. Is when they took him out in handcuffs. And he turned to me and he said, Mom, fight for me, Mom. And I said, I will to the day I die. The judge's call, she said that she could have sentenced him to 75 years. And they, they both said, well, he took 10 years of our lives and he should get 10 years. So the judge sentenced him to 20 years. They saw a, a heavyset older male being considered as an adult being looked at that he did something to a child when he was a child himself. All they knew was this big guy. I mean, he probably weighed about 360 pounds when he was on trial. Looking confident, he was confident. When you're not guilty, you're confident. And they saw an overweight adult being accused of harming children against crazy accusations with the main reason of why it was there was never disclosed to them. Referring here again to the mother of accuser one. Had that been disclosed to them that there was a previous allegation of not only myself but of other people of sexual abuse and of physical abuse, had her previous history been explored, I would not be a convicted inmate at this moment. They just didn't let him talk. He didn't get to talk as much as he could have. He didn't get to explain things as much as he should have. Because even when he was going towards it, they objected and the judge sided with them. You know, so he didn't even get a chance to sit there and defend himself. It was just a bullshit thing. And like I said, I hear of it more and more and more. We see that there was conspiring and it's on the district attorney, it's on the police misconduct, and it's on the two individuals. I'm not a journalist, I'm a filmmaker, and I have hours of footage that couldn't make it into this documentary. That will be the basis for this podcast as we expand the story and tell you in detail what happened, focusing on the trial, the district attorney, the accusers, the mothers of the accusers, the problematic appeal process, his family history, and key pieces of information left out from his trial that would have changed his fate. This is unlike any other true crime podcast you will ever hear. Vinny's pretty extraordinary. Stick with us. On behalf of Vinny and myself, thank you for listening to this episode of Family of Conviction. To offer aid or advice to the family or watch the documentary short film, please see our show notes.